This morning we are starting in a new series. We're going to be starting in the book of Jonah this morning. For the next few weeks we're going to be kind of camping out in the belly of the whale. I know that doesn't sound real pleasing. Any of you want to spend some time in the intestines of a whale? Or big fish? Okay, Isaac and Nathaniel, we will take you out back later and we will squeeze you into some intestines. Make sausage out of you. For the rest of us, though, the idea of being judged and and being uh, forced to do something that we don't want to do is not always the pleasing idea. Now think of this for a minute. Here we get the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah was a man. He was a prophet of God who had been serving faithfully in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom there of Israel. At this point, it was a divided kingdom. You had the north and the south, and they were kind of at odds with one another. They were not like North and South Korea, um, who were lobbing missiles back and forth and lobbing words. They, they kind of had this border there, and they kind of didn't want to... Kings on one side, kings on the other, and they were kind of at odds, but sometimes they were friendly. But here, Jonah was called to be one of God's prophets in the northern kingdom, calling out sin, calling out, pointing people to God, going to the kings and saying, do this, don't do this. You need to get your hearts right with God. And then one day, God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go and travel 550 miles to talk to people who don't know me, who have never heard my name, who don't like me, I want you to go and tell them that they're falling into sin and they're going to be destroyed in just a short time if they don't repent. Anybody, does that excite anybody? Imagine being sent to communist Russia. Imagine being sent to North Korea. Imagine being sent to one of these other nations or countries around the world which are totally different from you. I don't mean just all I can think of our missionaries. You're going to a country that hates your guts. They're known, the Syrian people were known as, they were ruthless and brutal. When they conquered a nation, they not just enslaved them, they did horrible things to the people that they conquered. If you look at anything in history, the, it was horrible, some of the stuff they did. And God tells Jonah, you go to these people and you tell them about me. And you tell them what, they're in sin and they've got to convert. They've got to com- uh, repent. Jonah was not a happy man. In fact, we look at the story of Jonah, we look at some of these stories of some of these people in the Bible and we look at all the works they did and all the things they did and the things they said, and we think, I could never do that. Anybody else there? <laughs> I couldn't go and do what God asked them to do. I couldn't go and, to, and speak the way that these people spoke. I couldn't go and live up and, and live the way these people lived. But it's interesting that you look at the stories in the Bible. It's not so much a, a book about the things that people did, it's about the lives that were transformed when they listened to God. It's about lives that were changed, about the people who went. It was not necessarily about what they did and said and spoke and where they went, but it was more about what God did in their hearts and in their lives as a result of saying, God, I'm going to follow you. 
and I will go in faith and follow you. See, God is in the people-changing business. When we get to heaven, we can't take our works with us. We can't take our stuff with us. We're not going to go and, and take all the things. only thing we can take with us to heaven is other people. One thing we can take with us is, is other souls that we have shared the truth with and people we have been discipling and people we have helped to be involved and engage in their lives. I can't take my stuff. I can't take my things. I can't take my acts. I can't take my works. I can't even take the things I said. I can take myself and present myself before God. And I can say, when I get to heaven, say, God, look where you brought me from. Look what life you led me from. And look what you did in me. And God, you get the glory because of what you did in me. See, that's the story of Jonah. As we look at Jonah this morning starting out, this book of Jonah, if you don't know where it's at, it's in the Old Testament. It's after the book of Psalms. It's really small. It's like two pages. You're going to, if you blink, you're going to miss it in the Bible. It's close to the back of the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible at all, look in your table of contents in the front and you'll find it toward the end of the Old Testament. The story of Jonah is about the story of a life who was changed. And here you think, well, this is funny. Wasn't he already a prophet of God? Wasn't he already a servant of God? Wasn't he already faithfully serving in the capacity that God had called him to serve in? Yes, he was. And yet... When God asked him to do something different, outside of his training, outside of his scope of comfortability, outside of his box, he didn't want to go. And we're going to see that God has to kind of twist his arm to do something, to make a difference. Look with me in Jonah Chapter 1, verse 1. We've got a long read today, three verses. Jonah chapter 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that, the, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. First thing I want you to notice is that God called him to a difficult task. God freely acknowledges, and, and we can acknowledge him as we're reading this, that this was difficult for Jonah. It was not going to be an easy task. When God called us to go to the people of North Korea, there was some fear in our hearts. We've been living comfortably in South Korea for 12 years, enjoying the people, enjoying the food, enjoying the church that God had given to us, enjoying the ministry we had placed us. And then when one day God laid on our hearts to go to the people of North Korea, there was a little fear and trepidation in our hearts. There was quite a bit of fear and trepidation in, our, in the grandparents' hearts. There was some fear and trepidation in, in the churches, and we called back and said, well, look, uh, God's changing our direction. We're now going to be heading to the north. And they're like, do you know what those people do to believers? Do you, know what, do, you, do you really know what you're getting into? 
Uh, David, have you lost your mind? You got, at that time, four little kids. Rachel was 10 years old. He says, David, do you know, do you and Regina know what you're getting yourselves into? How are you, we had some missionary friends, from missionary friends of ours, say, how dare you take these little kids? Oh, no, and them, they saw our kids as like their grandkids. And, and they were, how dare you take these kids away from us? And you put them in harm's way in danger in the country of North Korea. It was a difficult task. Maybe some of you have faced difficult tasks, difficult assignments from God as well. That neighbor who moved in next to you, that you've had this nice house for 10, 15 years, and you chose your neighborhood, and you chose the neighbors at the time, and then that person moved in down the street. And they got cars parked all out in the, in the, in the street. And they, they let their weeds grow up under their fence into your house, into your yard. We've got some raspberry bushes in our yard. And I know our neighbors are like, you need to pull them raspberry bushes out because they're climbing up under the fence and spreading out their feelers into their yard. Those neighbors, those people who drive you crazy and... and Yet you've got to be nice to them. You ever think that God has placed some of those people there in your midst, in your neighborhood, so that you can be a light and minister to them? That spouse that you married, and they've changed over the past 25, 30 years? Now, I know in our situation, I've not changed at all in the 26 years of marriage. Just ask Regina. I am just the same today, minus a little bit of hair, just... We all change, don't we? I don't just mean bad breath. You've got to brush a little more. We all change as we grow, as we mature. I don't want to say grow older. As we mature, we all change. And we've been given a task to reach a community, to reach a state, to reach a city that maybe we don't identify with that we don't fully understand who these Californians are that have moved into our city, into our state. People have moved in. And there's very few native Coloradans. I'm not one. I grew up on the East Coast. I was a beach bum. When I grew up, we'd, in the summertime, we'd go to early service at church. Then we'd hit the beach. We'd be at the beach by 11 o'clock, out there enjoying the surf, enjoying, enjoying the waves and the sand and all afternoon and come rushing back to church that afternoon, still got our shorts on, got brushing off the sand as we come into Bible study that evening. You know, still got the zinc oxide and hair just all messed up from back when I had hair but, uh, as you come into Bible study and church and youth group. That's how I grew up. And coming out here, y'all don't have waves. You don't have beach and sand like I did. I know you got some ponds and some lakes and you got some, something you call beach around those lakes. But it's different for some of you than with all the people coming in. It's different for those of us who have moved in. And we've all been given a difficult task to reach people who are different from us. Jonah is often called the reluctant prophet because he has been called to reach a people that honestly he probably despises because of what they've done in the region. 
His name means dove. And your hunters are going, yes. His dad's name, Amittai, you know what it means? Truth. So here's Jonah, the dove of truth. What do you think? Do you think of doves? Would that be a name if you think of like a prophet? Prophets, you, you, you picture standing up there on the street corners, got the street box, their, their little soapbox, they're standing on it going, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, convert, I mean, repent, 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 repent. That's how I kind of picture a prophet, but here comes Jonah, the dove. We have doves in our backyard. Coo, coo. You know, they're eating our bird seed on the ground. They're nice, soft birds, soft sound. That's not what I picture of when I picture a prophet. And yet here's this dove being sent to these hard people in Assyria, 500 miles away, being called to leave all that he's known to go and take the message of God's repentance to these people. You know, it also probably wasn't the job he was trained for. When I went to college, when I went to seminary, I studied to go into youth ministry. I thought I would spend the rest of my time in ministry having pizza parties and lock-ins. I thought, yes! God did not call me to pastor a church. Yes! Yes! Yeah, God's going to... You ever feel like God's leading you to do something that you're saying, but God, that's not what I was trained for. When we went to North Korea... We went up into China. We started a restaurant. You know, in college, they didn't train me to be an entrepreneur. In college, they didn't train me how to do debits and credits. They didn't train me how to run to do HR. They didn't train me how to do any of that stuff that was necessary to run a restaurant in China. They didn't train me how to send wire transfers internationally so that we could do, set up these wind turbines in North Korea. They didn't train me how to do any of this stuff. But God, are you really sure this is where you've called us? I'm not trained for that. God often stretches us, puts us in situations. Again, it goes back to the purpose. Why? What's he doing? He's changing us. He's changing Jonah. When he is sending Jonah 500 miles away, it's not just so he could go and reach the city and proclaim to them the word of God. Because there's a work that God wants to do in Jonah's heart. And he knows it's not going to happen where he's at right there in Israel. He's got to send him far away to change him. It'd be very easy for Jonah to stay right where he was. He'd had some success. In fact, when he was there in Israel, God had told him at one point to go to the king, to King Jeroboam, and say, you need to go shore up your northern, northern border because you're getting ready to have some people come in, and they're going to try to invade you. So as he, in 1 Kings chapter 14, he goes to Jeroboam, and he tells him, you need to shore up your northern border. Those are good things to say, right? So when God says to him, I want you to go to these people in Nineveh and just do, basically do what you did to Jeroboam. And just, I'm going to give you the words to say. Just say them. Sounds simple, right? But not so. 
In chapter, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, again, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, the dove of truth. He says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and you call out against it, for their evil has come up against me, come up before me. Just go and you just tell them what I'm going to give you the words to say. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about anything else. You just go and obey and you just speak the truth. But rather than listening to God, Jonah decides to pursue an act of rebellion against God. Look at verse 3. The very first word there. But. You ought to know there's a problem. You ought to know there's something coming. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and, and they want to justify their actions or justify what they said? Yeah, I know what you're saying is true and it makes sense, but my kids are experts at this. Dad, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know I need to do this. I know that I, I, I got to clean my room. I know that, but you don't understand. But, Dad, you, but, Jonah says, God, I know that you're sending me to Assyria. I know you're sending me to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. See, now his response was based solely at this point upon his feelings toward the Assyrians. Remember, he hated them. He despised them. The people of Israel and people of Judah at that time, they hated the Assyrians for what they had done in coming in to conquer all their neighbors and the way that they treated all the people there. He was letting his, in other words, he was letting his sociology, he was letting his ethnicity determine his theology. Okay? Our theology, in other words, he was letting his feelings determined the way he acted. You ever heard this? I know God's word says X, Y, Z, but that's just not right for my family. I know God's word says I need to do this, but you don't know my situation. I know God's word says that's letting our feelings determine our theology. Instead, our theology, how we view God, how we understand the Word of God, that ought to be what determines the way we live our lives. That ought to be determined the way that we think every single day. That ought to determine how we vote in the elections. That ought to determine how we embrace the world. God's Word the, the, the living word of God. It's not just a book. It's not just a, a, a culmination of words that are in here in several thousand pages and several hundreds of thousands of words. I don't even know how many words are in there. I'll ask one of my uh, fact checkers later. There's a lot of them. These are the very words of God given to us. A song we sang. These are the very words of God. It's not just a Stephen King novel. It's not just a 
Ted Decker novel. It's not just your latest self-help manual that you pick up. It's not a HR manual that you have to go through when you get hired. It's not any of those type of books. These are the words of God that bring life and truth to us, and they ought to shape everything that we do and say. So when we say, God, I know that you're telling me this, but essentially you're telling God, talk to the hand. How dangerous is that? Do we really want to wind up sucking seawater in some intestines? God, talk to the hand. I, don't, I, I know that you told me that, but you don't know my situation, God. I know that you said i got to forget that person, but God, you don't know. That's dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. See, our theology and how we believe, what we believe about God, how we read the Word of God, that ought to shape and change everything about us. It shapes and changes the way we think. It shapes and changes the way that we act toward our neighbors. It shapes and changes the way that we impact and love on people around us. We just finished this whole series on how to neighbor and how we need to be a neighbor and love on people around us who are different than us who look different than us, that think different than us, that behave different than us, that vote different than us, that have a different socioeconomic level than us. We need to cross the street and love on people who are unloving. It's not good enough to stay on your side of the street and say, God bless you. Let me throw a dog biscuit to you. Let me maybe send something your way, but to go over and actively help them and love on them and bring them into your midst and you share the love of Christ with them. That's what theology does. That's what the Word of God does. It changes us and makes us more like God. Instead, Jonah let his feelings toward the Ninevites, toward the Assyrians, change him. And he ran 3,000 miles away. Look at it. This is where he started over here close to Joppa. He just got to go to short distance. Instead, he chose to go rent a boat <laughs> to go as far away as he could. And people thought we were crazy going to China from here. That's about as far as you can get from here. He was running not just to Egypt, which would have been easier, not just to another part of Israel, or maybe up even into Turkey, he went to the end of the known world. If the world had been flat, he would have fallen off, or wanted to fall off. He was fleeing, the Bible says, from the presence of God. That is a dangerous thing to do. See, he was not just actively, he was not just rebelling against God. He was actively rejecting what God had told him to do. He was rejecting the truth that God had told him. He was rejecting the person of God. He said, God, I know you've called me to go. I know you've told me to do this. Talk to the hand. I'm going to go that way.
he chose to flee from the presence of God. Verse 3 says, He went down to Joppa and found a ship that was going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. He had to search diligently to go to find that ship. It wasn't just like there were ships all over the place going to Tarshish. It wasn't like there were ships just dying to cross the whole Mediterranean Sea and go through the Straits of Gibraltar and get over there into Spain and Portugal. But we know it as today. He had to find a ship. And then when he, and if he couldn't find one, it says he paid the fare. In fact, many scholars believe that that means that he paid the fare. He just, he rented the whole thing. There wasn't even a ship going that direction. So he hired the whole ship to take him there. And likely he had to pay the ship fare both ways. When we were often getting a taxi and we had to travel when I was going back and forth to North Korea, if I jumped in a taxi to take me, now understand this, taxis in China are cheap. I could pay a taxi to drive me 100 miles to the border. It was about 60 miles to the border, rather, and it would cost me less than 100 bucks. Usually we had a, a bus or we had, we'd jump in a bus or if we had a, a company vehicle, we took in. But if I had to, if I was in a hurry and I had to get in a taxi or I was coming back to town, in fact, it cost less than that. It was more like 30 bucks to go 60 miles. It was pretty cheap. But often if they were coming back or if I was going that direction, they would make me pay the fare both ways because they didn't know if they were going to be able to catch a fare coming back. So in, in Jonah's case, I could see the captain of the ship saying, well, we'll take you there, but you've got to also pay my way back. He was going to pay for rejecting. He was going to pay for his act of rebellion. We also, when we reject God, we reject the lifestyle that God wants us to have. We reject the mouth that God wants us to have. We reject the thought life that God wants us to have. We're going to pay in the end. You may not feel the pain right now, but I promise you there's some intestines waiting for you down the road. <laughs> there's a big fish waiting for you down the road. When we reject the living the life that God wants us to live, to live a holy, godly life, there is payment to be made. We may not pay it right now. We may not pay it this next week. We may not pay it next year. But if I don't change my oil long enough in my car, guess what? I'm driving down the road and it dies. I may save 50 bucks now, 50 bucks in three months, another 50 bucks in three months, but if I got 12 months down the road and I haven't changed the oil in my car, guess what? I'm going to pay two, 3000 to put a new engine in. Unless Rich finds one for me and puts it in for free. He says, ah, uh, yeah. Dream on, dream on. We will pay at some point for rejecting God's commands in our life. Jonah is the same. See, fleeing from and when he says flee from the presence of God, it's an idiom, the Jewish idiom that all the Jews understood. 
that meant that he was rejecting, that he was going in rebellion. Think of your teenager, your preteen, your toddler. And you ask them to do something. And then their favorite two-letter word comes out, no. Kind of catches you off guard. Honey, stop a minute and think about what you just said. Please go and no. Fleeing from the presence of God is like telling God, no. I will not do what you said to do. I will not listen to you. I will do my own thing. I will not go and preach the word to the Ninevites. I will not share my faith. One of Jesus' last commands to us was the same command that God gave to Jonah at this time. Think about it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The final command of Jesus to us, to the church, to the disciples of that time, is the same command he gave to Jonah, is to go. You take the message. You go and you make disciples. You go and you take my word to the people around you that I've called you to go, to take to. You go. You go. You go. See, we at Mount States, we are disciples who make disciples. We are all about reaching people with the gospel, reaching them with the the truth of Jesus Christ, reaching them with the, the wonderful message that we have in God's word about what Christ has done for us, how he's he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again three days later, securing for us a place in heaven. And all we gotta do is reach out and accept his gift. Imagine This is the gift of God. He's died for each and every one of us. And he says, here you go. Forgiveness of sins is at your beck and call. All you got to do is reach out and grab it. All you got to do, every one of your sins has been forgiven. Every single one, just reach out. Go ahead, I'm not even going to look. You reach out and grab it. You take it when you're ready. And he holds out the gift for you and I. And yet so many people say, I don't want that. That means i got to change. If, if, I, if I accept this gift of God, then I, I, I can't keep living the way I'm living. If, if I accept this gift from God, if I accept that he wants me to be and one of his children and to go to, to heaven with, with him when I die, then I've got to change. It doesn't mean you've got to change. It means you've got to let God change you. Because I can't do squat. I can't change myself. Every time I've tried to change myself, you know what? I've fallen flat on my face. <laughs> I fall flat on my face. But the moment I say, God, I can't do it. I need you to come in and change me. 
See, Jonah's act of rebellion, Jonah's act of rejecting God, was him telling God, I don't need you. And as long, for as long as you hold that, as God's hand is out there and you refuse to reach out and accept God's gift, you're telling God, I'm going to try to do it by myself. I don't need you. But when you finally come to understand and believe that God loves you, that he died for you, died to forgive your sins and mine, and all I got to do is reach out and say, God, I, I submit myself to you, and I reach out and I grab, I, I need your forgiveness of sins. At that moment, you become one of his children. That's all it is. Very simple. As God's church were to go, were to baptize, or help people identify with the body of Christ, help them to identify publicly with the changes taking place in their lives, were to teach them what's in God's word. That's why we have Bible studies here at 9 o'clock. That's why we got life groups during the week. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings. So we want to teach them. This is what God said. This is what God said to you. This is what God said to me. This is how we're to live. This is what his desire is for us. And then we're to repeat. You go. You make disciples. You share the truth. Help them identify with the church and with what God's doing in this world, around the world. And you teach them what God's word says. Then you repeat. You go and make another disciple and you help them, you help them to identify. Then you teach them and then you repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat, right? It's that simple. That is our command. That is what we are called to do. You let God take care of changing people's hearts. You let God take care of convicting them of sin. You let God take care of all that stuff because you know what? I found in my life and in my kids' lives and all the those around me that God is a much better teacher of men than I am. God is much better a transformer of men's hearts and women's hearts than I am. I can teach and preach till I'm blue in the face and no transformation, no change takes place. But as soon as I give it up and say, God, you work in Dave's heart. God, you work in Rich's heart. God, you work in Dustin's heart. God, you work in John's heart. God, you work in Josiah's heart. As soon as I do that, change takes place. When Regina wants to change me, you know what she does? She doesn't nag anymore. She prays. She says, God, change my husband. You make him the man of God you want him to be. You make him the leader of men you want him to be. And she saw a radical transformation in my life. Because God is a much better teacher than she is. Romans 5.8 says, God loves us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? God loved the Assyrians while they were still in sin, so God planned to send Jonah. That there's somebody out there for us that God loves. And he wants us to be like Jonah. To just be willing to go and take the message. You know what? You let God work about you let God worry about their hearts. 
You let God worry about changing them. You let God worry about transforming them. You just be faithful in taking the message and living a life that honors God. And you let God do transformation in the lives of others. When you do that, it takes all the burden off. It's no longer no pressure on my shoulders. But you let God work in people's hearts. You just be faithful in going, helping them identify. You teach and you repeat. You go, you make disciples, you baptize, you help them to identify with the, with the church. You teach them what God says and you repeat. When you do that, all the fear of the intestines, the fear of the belly of the fish will not be there. Let's not be like Jonah. Let's commit ourselves to serving God and following him and living for him every single day so that in the end we stand before God and he says, what do you bring me as an offering? You can say, I bring me. I bring me because I'm changed. I'm not the same person that you saved years ago. I'm bringing me. Have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute this morning?